0: me to John chapter 10. We're gonna read the first 20 verses, 21 verses here. All right, so a couple points that'll help, uh, help you better understand the text here as we get ready to read it. Uh, chapter 10, is it in the same conversation as chapter eight and nine? And so when Jesus calls himself the good shepherd, it's really helpful to, to, to and, he, and he says there are leaders who are thieves and robbers. You got to keep in mind the Pharisees that he's in conversation with who have harmed the blind man and his family. Um, and then the, the second thing that I think would be helpful just as we get ready to meditate on this familiar metaphor, right? If you've been around the church for any length of time or even outside of the church, you've heard Psalm 23, and, and the Lord is my shepherd, and it's just this beautiful portrait of God that just kind of makes us sigh and relax, and it's actually a very pointed metaphor that's meant to be present and active and discern the thoughts and motivations of our heart. And, it, and so I just, I just want to start with a challenge uh, to, um, to try and to ask God to help you break through the familiar, to help apply this text uh, to us today, not just... Sometime in the past when we got the information in our heads. And so with that introduction, let's read read the passage in praise John 10:1 through twenty one. This is the word of our God. Truly, truly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep, to him the gatekeeper opens. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he is a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And this is God's word. Uh, he has spoken to us today in love. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this great gift, uh, your charge that Jesus would be our shepherd. And so I pray that uh, you would help us hear Jesus' voice this morning, uh, that we would respond with faith and repentance as we recognize that we too are sheep who are prone to go astray. And we ask then that your spirit would uh, help us trust our shepherd to listen to his voice as we see how much deeper and more comprehensive is his care and love than we can imagine. So be with us now as we study, as we meditate, as we uh, look at Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Right, so shepherding in the Bible uh, is, is a metaphor for leadership. I mean, it's all the way through the scriptures. It's, it's describing how leaders use power, how, um, how they relate to those under them, and what their obligations to them are. Um, it's a a metaphor, it's beautiful because it describes unceasing vigilant care combined with a a fierce and tender love for the sheep. And so you get an example of how this uh, just would have been in the Jewish uh, imagination. There was a Jewish legend that explained why did God choose Moses to go rescue Israel from slavery in Egypt? And it was, the story goes, um, I don't know if it's true or not, I don't, don't think it is, but uh, while, while Moses was caring for his father-in-law's sheep, one of, the, one of the young kids wandered off and ran away. And this, this young sheep uh, had run into a ravine and just found water to drink. And so when Moses hunted it down and said, he said kindly to the sheep, I didn't know you were thirsty. But now after this long journey, you must be exhausted. And so he picks up this lost little sheep Puts it on his shoulders and carries it back. And God saw that kindness and said, because you have shown pity and kindness in bringing back one of a flock that belongs to a human, I will entrust to you my flock Israel. Nice sentiment, but you get the idea, right? That, that shepherding has to do with the way leaders care for those under them. Um, To be shepherded well is to have unceasing vigilance combined with comprehensive care and compassion for sheep who are prone to wander, who are prone to get in trouble. And so with that uh, brief introduction, if I stopped and asked you, how have you experienced shepherding in your life? How have parents, pastors, politicians uh, used their power in your experience, are they like hired hands, only in it for themselves and what they can get out of you? Have you been loved? Have you been served? Have you been protected and provided for? Or somewhere in between? Probably where most of us are. All right. So as we um, get ready to think about Jesus, um, the Good Shepherd, the perfect leader, um, it's helpful to see what the Bible teaches about leadership, and that's where I want to pull up the Westminster Larger Catechism. Because we have good experiences and we have bad experiences um, with with leadership. And the larger catechism lays out what the Bible teaches, um, what is required of superiors towards their inferiors, or another way to put it, what is required of shepherds towards the sheep. And here's what it says. It should be projected behind me. So thanks, Evan, for keeping up. Uh, Those in authority according to the power that they receive from God and the role that they have been given are required to do the following. Uh, to love, pray for, and bless those under them. To instruct, counsel, and admonish them. Approving, commending, and rewarding those who do well and disapproving, reproving, and chastising those who do bad. Providing, protecting and providing for them all things necessary for soul and body. And by grave, wise, holy, and exemplary behavior to bring glory to God, honor to themselves, and so preserve the authority that God has given them. And then, question 130, how do we screw that up? (laughs) What are the sins of those in authority? And the sins of those in authority are, besides the neglect of the duties required of them, the following. Inordinate, seeking of their own glory, ease, profit, or pleasure. You see that. Commanding things that are unlawful or not in the power of their subordinates to perform, right? Expecting people to do what they don't have the ability to do. Um, Approving, encouraging, or favoring subordinates in doing what is evil. Dissuading, discouraging, or disapproving subordinates in what is good. Correcting them to excess. Careless neglect or leaving them to be wrong, to temptation, or to danger. Provoking them to wrath. And in any way, dishonoring themselves or lessening their authority by unjust, indiscreet, rigorous, or remiss behavior. I mean, obviously we could spend hours just talking about that. But you can see, like, this is is the scope of just how much God cares about leadership and how leaders use the authority and power that God has given them, how they shepherd, how they care for those underneath them. In the realm of government, church and home, which sets us up to hear what, who Jesus is claiming to be. He's claiming to be someone who has not sinned in these ways and who has done exactly what the larger catechism tells us to do, because right? in Ezekiel 34, God is fed up with the, the, the Israelite leaders. And it says, no longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. And thus says the Lord God, I myself will come and search for my sheep and seek them out. And so here's what we're running into this morning. Jesus is saying in fulfillment of Ezekiel 34, I am the Lord who's come to seek out the weak and wounded sheep. I am the good shepherd who's come to do what no human leader can do. And, and so whatever experiences you have with good leadership, bad leadership, um, you've got to bring that experience to Jesus who uses his power to unselfishly love, serve, and protect his sheep. And so let's not—this is, is the challenge to you as we, as we jump into this. If we've had bad experiences— with leaders, it's hard not to project it. And so we, we wanna see that Jesus, the good shepherd, came to redeem us from bad leadership, right? Because as we're gonna see, we cannot thrive or even have abundant life, as he says, without being shepherded by him, which is a big claim. So let's look at this, we have, I got three points. One, the first one is that we need a shepherd, right? Before we see the comfort in the passage, uh, Jesus insults everyone. <laughs> right? You have to feel the spiritual insult when he calls us sheep. And so, I think it was at Pastor um, Anthony Gorsuch's installation, I spoke on this idea in Dwaynesburg and asked a rhetorical question. Or it was supposed to be, "What are sheep like?" And someone yelled out in the crowd, "They're stupid. <laughs> They're farmers. They know." Um, right? And he's, really helpful setup because that's what sheep are. They're not the brightest of animals. Uh, They are those that need 24-7 comprehensive care from a shepherd. They cannot survive on their own. Um, And so by Jesus calling his people sheep, he's he's insulting us. He's saying we are not wise enough or competent enough to run our own lives. We're, We're prone to wander. Or to make it personal, I got to say out loud, I am not wise enough or competent enough to run my own life apart from Jesus' shepherding. Should be the testimony of every honest Christian. Right? Because if, if your cat runs away, it's going to be fine. It didn't really need you anyway, <laughs> except for maybe to feed it occasionally. Right? If your dog runs away, it'll survive. It, it, it'll, go, it'll go wild. It can find food. But if your sheep escapes, right, it's not gonna survive on its own. I mean, there are all kinds of movies about dogs and cats getting lost and finding their way home. Disney has not done that with sheep, right? Because they they get stranded, uh, they choose the wrong paths, they they can easily fall on their back and they can perish. I mean, you read the stories of shepherds talking about their sheep, um, they just get in trouble all the time. And so, I, for example, I heard a, a story about someone traveling through the English countryside and, you know, they just love the scenic, the, the, the green of, of, of the UK and, and sheep out in the field. And they saw a bunch of white sheep in a green field at the, at the bottom of this steep hillside and just kind of like, oh, that's beautiful, until they got closer. And they realized with horror that, that the ones at the bottom of the hill weren't moving Because these sheep on their own had foolishly gone down the steep hill and then just slipped, fell, and tumbled to their death. Because they're sheep. They're completely dependent on a shepherd for abundant life. To be human is to need a shepherd. That's, That's the first teaching. And so, do you see yourself that way? The answer is probably occasionally. <laughs> right? Uh, to, to be a sheep is to believe that independence is impossible, that I need shepherded, I need pastored, I need guided, I need led. I need to be told what is good for me and what is not good for me. I need to be watched over 24-7. As Isaiah 53 says, we all like sheep have gone astray, each and every one of us, to our own way. And so... Right, if you're out there saying, I don't know if that's me. I mean, the moment you say I don't need pastored or parented, I don't need a church, I don't need a community that knows me, I don't need a shepherd, right? You're you're proving yourself to be what Jesus just said you are, a, a sheep without a shepherd. Right? And so just think about this. How many times have you and I looked back at your past life choices with regret. Right? In the moment, you were fully confident of what you were doing, right? I mean, I've said this before, it seemed like a great idea at the time, right? which is very sheepish thinking. Right? So for example, when I, um, when I lived with a, a Malagasy family in Madagascar, I, um, they had security, right? It's a gated compound, and, and one day I came home and I forg- had forgotten the key, and, being American, right? If, you've, if you get locked out of your house, you look for all kinds of creative ways to get back into your house, so you don't have to have the key. And so I did what any American would do, I think. Uh, I improvised, I climbed the fence, found a way up to the balcony, and was able to get into my bedroom to unlock the door to get what I needed, and kind of went on my way and never thought twice about it. it seemed like a good idea at the time. And one of the things I never thought of was context. Right? I found out later from my host family uh, that is exactly how a thief got into the house. Um, and if there were any potential thieves watching, they just saw how to get in. Right? So I was deeply ashamed of just being, <laughs> thinking the way I seemed like a good idea at the time. I mean, and that's just one example, right, where in my wisdom it seemed wise and it turned out to be foolish. I mean, what about five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago? Or more. The Bible says we need a shepherd. And his desire is to shepherd you. Which leads to the second point here that Jesus is our shepherd. And so let's look more closely at the passage. Alright, he starts by using this metaphor, and of course nobody understands the first go-around here on the first six verses. But he says that the one who enters the sheep behold by another door is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the, by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And it, it's, a, it's a simple image. Is often in, in the ancient Near East, you would have your flock um, sharing with other shepherds and their flock, and they would be in this big, large, gated, uh, fenced-in area, and there'd be an opening uh, for the sheep to come and go and there'd be a gatekeeper to eat, or the shepherd themselves letting the sheep in and out. And so sometimes even the shepherd himself would be the door. He would just lie down in front of the, the entrance. And so right away what Jesus is saying here is that there are two kinds of leaders. There are good shepherds who love and serve the sheep, right, who aren't there to just take like thieves and robbers. Um, and there are leaders who don't care about knowing the sheep and just come for them for their own purposes, to use the sheep. And like I said, this is, this is Jesus. They don't understand it, but Jesus is publicly insulting the Pharisees, uh, the religious leaders of his day. And remember in chapter nine, we looked at this last week, um, the the, the the religious leaders had publicly declared that anyone who professes faith in the Messiah shall be put out of the synagogue. They shall be shut out they shall be shunned from the community and cut off from God functionally. So no pressure. Right? Functionally they're saying, We're going to use our power to make sure you believe exactly what we believe. They're right? so like thieves breaking in at night, using the sheep to prop up their position. I mean, today we would call that spiritual abuse. Uh, That's the language. So, for example, Michael Kruger, our seminary president in his book, Bully Pulpit, defines spiritual abuse. And see if you, you can recognize this in the Pharisees. Spiritual abuse is when a spiritual leader, such as a pastor, elder, or head of a Christian organization, uses his position of spiritual authority in such a way that he or she manipulates, domineers, bullies, and intimidates those under them as means to maintain power and control, even while they're convinced that they're seeking biblical goals. It's a little bit scary, which sounds an awful lot like Pharisees okay? using the sheep for their own ends. And Jesus will go further and call them. He calls them thieves and robbers or or hired hands. As soon as it gets hard, they're going to bail out. They don't really want to know the sheep. So in other words, in this passage, you see that there are two ways to lead. One is for yourself and your benefit to feed your ego, your reputation, your wants. There are all these different reasons that the sheep get abused. Or there is the Jesus way, which is to sacrificially lay down your life the sheep and so thieves and robbers they see the sheep as instruments to be used for their own profit and pleasure it's the language of the Westminster Confession right or there's good shepherds who know the sheep by name who are willing to care for the sheep and are looking out for the sheep right even when it hurts and inconveniences it's beautiful leadership when when it happens and so, so let's we'll start here, right? This is, this is helpful because you have God saying, this is Jesus saying, to those listening, I recognize that there are people in leadership who've wounded you. He uses those names. We would describe it differently. He just uses a metaphor. They're thieves, they're robbers, they're hired hands. They have not defended you as they ought. They have not served you as they ought. It's not how things ought to be. Now look at Jesus and how He, he leads and loves. He says, the, the sheep hear his voice and the shepherd calls them by name. And this is the way Jesus pastors us. It's it's in a relationship with um, what one pastor calls comprehensive intimacy. Right? And this is he knows you by name. This is deeply personal. Because right, often multiple flocks would share the same pen, and so the way the shepherd would uh, get his sheep together is not only would they recognize his voice and come, but he would know the sheep individually and have nicknames. And he would have names for each individual sheep. And so not, the shepherd's voice was known and trusted, and, and that's the heart of what the gospel in John 10 is telling you, is that when Christ calls you, he doesn't just say, come here, human being. Right? He says... Come to me, and he calls you by name. He's a shepherd. He knows everything about you, where you've wandered, why you've wandered, and yet he still calls you by name to come and belong to him. Uh, One author says um, the cross of Jesus Christ has our names on it, not just the generic name humanity. When Jesus called himself the Good Shepherd, he says he calls his own sheep by name. And so the gospel comes to you not in a newspaper with a Xerox label, Dear Occupant, but rather in a handwritten envelope personally addressed to you by name. As a love letter from God to you, personally. Jesus says, this is so intimate and so personal. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I know my own and my own know me. This is this is what it's like to be shepherded, is to have Jesus know that your tendency, your sheep-like tendencies. Every moment where he said, Well, it seemed like a good idea to, at the time. And he says, You are mine. Listen to me your shepherd it's an intimate relationship and it's comprehensive because as you read about shepherds and sheep right there's no parts of a sheep life sheep's life that's off limits Um, because the shepherd is always watching so you're known you're provided for you're protected basically to to be in a relationship with a shepherd is to have the shepherd dominate every aspect of the sheep's life with his personal care and presence You can't avoid the shepherd. (laughs) And so a lot of these metaphors in the beginning of the the, the text go right over everyone's head. But in verse 7, Jesus just starts being really clear and blunt where instead of just talking about sheep and shepherds generically, he says, no, I am the good shepherd. I am the door of the sheep. I am the way you are safe. The shepherd calls him by name. He leads them in and he leads them out. He's watching over their coming and their going. And Jesus says as the door of the sheep is that, that portrait again, right? You got, you got the, the, the four walls with an opening, uh, they're fenced in and oh, they wouldn't have a gate the way we would just build or buy one, right? Uh, often the shepherd would just lie there in the front to protect them from predators and to defend from thieves and robbers. And Jesus says, I'm there defending you 24-7, night and day. Right? I watch you going, coming and you're going. So, like I said, it's a comfort because of how much attention you get. It's also a challenge. Right? Jesus says, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. The only way to be a part of his flock, to be a part of God's flock, is to come through the door which is Jesus, to receive salvation. In other words, you can't get this comprehensive care from Jesus without dealing with him, without dealing with the shepherd. So, if, if he is offering comprehensive care and this is how he shepherds, is there any part of your life where you've decided that you are a wiser sheep than the shepherd? You're supposed to hear the irony. right? And feel like you're More competent to live without the shepherd? The answer is, of course, if you're going to be honest. But look at who Jesus is. This is the kind of shepherd who doesn't bail on you the moment life gets hard. He's not going to leave you alone. He's going to pursue you with goodness and mercy, as Psalm 23 says. Uh, He's not a hired hand who's going to leave you as food for the wolves. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I mean, why does a shepherd stay when it, when it puts his life at risk? In fact, in, in the Old Testament, if you were going to prove, right, if you, had to, if you were a shepherd and you had to prove to the boss that, that I swear, sir, a, a lion came and, and took one of your sheep, I wasn't being negligent. Uh, to not be in trouble with the boss, you know what you'd have to do, according to Amos, uh, you would have to go find that lion and bring back either a leg or an ear or a body part of the sheep, which is really gruesome. But what it means is a, a faithful shepherd, you not only have to defend from the lion, but if they win, you have to go hunt that lion down to go get proof. You have to risk your life for the sheep. And so why would a shepherd stay? And Jesus's answer is, I'm gonna stay by your side because you are mine. It's because it's because of the value of the sheep to the shepherd that the shepherd stays. The hireling doesn't care. It's not my property, it's not my loss, it's not my money that's going out the door. But according to Jesus, if you belong to him, you're part of his wealth, you're part of his joy. You're part of his honor. I mean, that's, that's how it was to belong to the shepherd. Uh, in, in Palestine, the wealth of the shepherd would have been connected to the life of the sheep. I, I mean, any farmer will tell you that their money is invested in their animals. And so we are Jesus' sheep, the good shepherd. We are his treasured possession, as it says elsewhere in the Bible. Right. I mean, if you don't believe that Jesus loves us that much, I mean, why else would he tell that famous parable in Luke chapter 15 about, um, about a, a shepherd who, you know, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And then when he finds it, lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors and says, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Jesus is saying, it's the audacity to say that heaven rejoices when we're found. When we repent, when we own up to being sheep. We're... Gee, the shepherd's joy were part of his wealth. Do you believe that? I mean, anytime you are being shepherded by the good shepherd, Jesus, being corrected as you listen to his voice, and his voice tells you to do things you don't want to do, or said, hey, you should not have done that, uh, you've got to see it as in the context of the metaphor that, that we belong to him, and he is ours. It's done in love for your joy, so that you might have life abundantly. Jesus is a good shepherd um, lastly not only is Jesus a good shepherd <laughs> he's our good shepherd and this is where it has to become personal All right to be for Jesus to be a, a good shepherd the, the word John uses to describe Jesus as shepherding is, is the Greek word Kalos and it can be translated good it's a good translation um, about being moral, he does the right thing, but it also has a connotation of of being so good, it's beautiful, it's lovely, it's attractive, it's deeply moving, right? To believe that Jesus is your good shepherd, you have to be moved personally by the quality of his shepherding for you, right? I mean, this is how uh, St. Augustine in the fourth century would, would pray in his confessions. Uh, this, is his, this is a pastor saying out loud, uh, Lord, late have I loved you. And he calls God, "O oh, beauty ever ancient, ever new. He's just, he's just enraptured by the beauty of God's care for him. He said, in my unloveliness, Lord, I plunged into the lovely things which you created. You were with me, but I was not with you. created things, kept me from you. As a sheep, I was easily distracted, is what he's saying. And what pulled Augustine around, what what captured the eyes of his heart, like every Christian, is to not only see Jesus as a shepherd who's telling us what to do and how to live, but seeing him as the good shepherd, the beautiful shepherd, the one who loves us, whose care is um, supreme, Right? And so if you want to know what that looks like, look at the text. Right? Why, if you're going to ask Jesus, why are you hanging on a cross for sheep as the shepherd? Why are you willing to lay down your life for sheep who had, wanted nothing to do with you? Why are you willing to be separated from the Father who loves you for the sake of the sheep? And that's really the answer. It's verse 11. It's in verse 16. He lays down his life for the sheep, for the sake of the sheep. He wants to be on the cross. He has chosen to be on the cross in love for the sheep. And at the same time, he's doing it out of um, faithful love for his father Right. So he says, the Father loves me because I choose to lay down my life for the sheep. Not only does he have the authority to do this out of love for us, but he's also submitting to authority, the thing, very thing we do not want to do as sheep, and so, telling you, hey, by the way, this is God the Father's plan. It's his charge. It's his command that I would love you like this, and I want to, You have God the Father, God the Son, shepherding the sheep at grace cost to themselves so that you would be brought into a relationship with God as Father and God as Son so that you would be known by Jesus the way God the Father knows God the Son, which is intimate and comprehensive. To be known by name. And even as I say these things, they're hard to comprehend. And the beauty of this shepherding care is, it's not just for you; it's for others. Right? He says, "I have sheep not of this fold." Not only am I here for you, but I'm here for other sheep all over the world. That's that's the heart of what Jesus is saying here. By sheep not of this fold is likely uh, alluding to the idea that that when the good shepherd comes, the sheep are going to be coming from every tribe, tongue, and nation. In other words, if you're going to fall in love with the beauty that is Jesus and his shepherding care for you, like Augustine, right? you're going to do what human beings do. You talk about what you find most beautiful, and you praise his shepherding. And so you invite others to receive that shepherding, and Jesus says the comfort is anytime you evangelize, anytime you proselytize, try and persuade someone to embrace the gospel and, and receive Jesus as their shepherd, they will, he says, they will hear my voice. You can be confident that if you tell them what Jesus says and if they belong to Jesus, they will hear his voice. That's so what he says. They will listen to my voice, Jesus says. He's going to call them by name. Two more quick applications here and then we'll, we'll end. I'm hoping you see the beauty of the gospel here, that that what Jesus is laying out is just an unparalleled relationship between the God who made you. And then the application for us who are in leadership, which would be everybody at some point in your life will have someone underneath you in some way under your authority, under your care, right? Because pastors get called shepherds, right? This is a lesson for pastors. I mean, how do you see the sheep that you're called to care for as leaders? You know, my grandfather was a dairy farmer. To switch metaphors here. And I know he loved his animals, but I also saw him get mad at said animals when they were being stubborn, right? Of one of the, one of the memorable things was uh, me get, leaning down to milk at one of the cows and spooking the cow and getting a nice footprint right here in the chest and getting thrown into the gutter. I've got manure in my mouth, it's just this horrible experience. And I look up to see my grandfather defending me with a just whacking the cow for its stubbornness. how are you going to respond to stubborn sheep? Right? With contempt for them being sheep? Or with compassion? And correction, patient correction, right? I mean, Jesus says the good shepherd is, if we really find his, if I really find his shepherding beautiful and good, it should shape the way we, we lead and love sinners. Right. Because we are, as pastors, we're called to do this with joy. Not because of the advantages, that it, in the, not for financial gain or anything like that. It says in the scriptures we should do it uh, with great joy without grumbling. Because we have the honor of representing Jesus to other people. Right. It would be the same as parenting. The honor of shepherding these little sheep, who are prone to wander every single day. Is our care full of contempt, bitterness, grumbling, anger, or or like our good shepherd? And lastly, all right, this is the the plea, come and see Jesus as your shepherd, not just your shepherd, but as your good shepherd. Uh, There's a quote from uh, Dostoevsky's The Idiot and it says, is it true, Prince, that you once declared that beauty would save the world? Great heaven, the Prince says that beauty saves the world, and I declare that he only has such playful ideas because he's in love. <laughs> Gentlemen, the Prince is in love. I guessed it the moment he came in. Don't blush, Prince. You make me sorry for you. What beauty would save the world is the question. Right, and, and the answer John gives jesus's words i am the good shepherd i know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and i know the father and i lay down my life for the sheep may you listen to his voice because his beauty is saving the world let's pray father i pray that uh we would we have heard your voice this morning we would know your personal care you would heal our wounded hearts from uh, the the ways we haven't been shepherded well, and that you would comfort us with the hope of the gospel, uh, that we belong to you, and that we have this great hope of a great future where uh, you, Lord, our shepherd, will lead us to streams of living water and you will wipe away every tear from our eye, and sorrow and suffering will flee And we we are called now to trust you and your care until that great day. So I pray for everyone here, Lord, that as we hear your voice, you would equip us to make it to that great day as we trust your shepherding care. In Jesus' name, amen.